0: and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started.
1: My name is Adam Homey. I am your host. And once again, I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As per usual, we are coming to you from our elaborate high-tech studio, which happens to be my laptop on my balcony here in beautiful Las Vegas, which I like to call the hottest city in America, except when we have dust storms in May. Anyway, what we do at the Business Creators Radio Show is we take you on a journey. We're a From the Field podcast. We want to take you to those places where you've had those mastermind conversations that you've sat in on or overheard. Sometimes you're going to hear birds chirping, cars going by, ambient noise in the background. That's just the way it is. But these are the places where you have those discoveries you weren't expecting, those aha moments that give you that edge, that move your business and your life forward in ways that up until that moment, you had not been anticipating. And that's what we do here. We are going to have a very interesting conversation today and it's all about saving your asks. And naturally, this title has to have a word in it that I struggle to, s- to pronounce for some reason. In my presentations, I do for my mastermind program and for my podcast Reachers. I struggle over the word ask, pronouncing it. I'm actually getting it right this time to the point where sometimes I'll change the word in my slides to a synonym. It's like the word, s- s- I struggle with the word. Susceptible. So I have to say that one really slowly. It's just something in my speech patterns that those two words I struggle with. And it's fitting that that could be a metaphor because when you share your asks too soon, you may make your prospective clients and customers less susceptible to receiving the gifts and the joy of what it means to work with you. We have somebody here today who's going to shine a new light on this, a concept you may have heard of before, but it's going to be a different take on it. And he's given me some points in our green room conversation, uh, which I like to call seeded questions, going back to what I share in my trainings about seed-based marketing. This is going to be so much fun. His name is Chris Tuff. He was one of the first advertisers to work directly with Mark Zuckerberg back in 2006 when it was known as the Facebook, and I used to use it when I was in my mid to late 20s to uh, pick up college girls, and (laughs) and he filmed one of the most first viral videos, which landed him on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. His natural ability to connect with his nearly 80 percent millennial and Gen Z workforce, which, by the way, is The absolute majority of the workforce today and even the patterns and the aspirations of those two generations are permeating upward to the point where knowing this stuff will make you more effective with your Gen Xers, your baby boomers, et cetera. All this led him to publish the national best-selling The Millennial Whisperer in 2019. A global movement soon followed as the Atlanta residents shared lessons on empathy and genuine connection at work on some of the largest stages in the world, including Fortune 100 companies like Nike. Whoa, Chris Tuff, come on in. The weather's fine.
2: Yeah, awesome. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: All right, I have read off your official bio, which is so impressive that I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here, and this is my show, and we also got a taste of your professional timeline, but what we like to do here first before we dive in, and we have so much to cover, is... Tell us a bit in your own words about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. And just to clarify that a little bit further for you in particular, um, I know that on the surface, they might sound slightly redundant, but what we're looking for is more of the inspiration and what just passionately motivates you to get here.
2: Yeah, so uh, I mean, really, my, my initial motivation were my sixty four failed job interviews after graduating with a huge <laughs> ego. I graduated with a huge ego, went out in the job market, and it was lucky sixty fifth that I finally interviewed at this digital ad agency, thirteen employees, and I was, you know, a lowly account coordinator there. Uh, I did that for about two years, and. I found myself that I was kind of uninspired. And and so I, I said to the owner, you know, I think I'm a creative. So can I be a copywriter? And, and I was the worst copywriter in advertising history, easily the worst <laughs> one ever uh, out into the market. So I apologize to any of my clients that may hear this. Um, and, you know, it was really until it wasn't until year four or five of, of many lateral job moves, that I kind of fell into my element, where for the first time, my passions and profession overlapped, and that was right as Facebook was, you know, starting to open up from colleges to the general public, and uh, we worked on some of the first products as one of the, f- you know, one of three advertisers to work with them back then. One which actually blew up in our faces. I don't know if anyone remember the Beacon um, kind of backlash to privacy. That was actually Facebook's first issues with privacy. Oh Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, uh, we were all over that. And, um, so, you know, that, that really then became what I call my first currency, Adam. It, It was the, I became the digital and social guy. And, um, you know, we grew from 13 employees to over 400, you know, also during that time, the owner of the firm said, Hey, um, our, our client Verizon Wireless wants a viral video. Can you create one? And I said, what the heck's a viral video? It was before YouTube. And I filmed my engagement um, running down the streets of Atlanta uh, with a hidden camcorder and a tree and a wireless mic on. And it was, um, you know, really the first, when I put it on ChristopherTuff.com, it was a scale of emotion the internet hadn't really seen before. Um, and, you know, and, and, and more ridiculous things tended to happen because... That place where passion and profession overlap. What's cool about it is you don't really know when you're working. And my wife, who was a professional soccer player, was a little bit dismayed because she was getting more attention for all these publicity stunts that I was throwing out there. My daughter, when she was born, she's now 12. um, She was actually the youngest tweet ever. I even set up a baby underscore tough. I said, you know, um, we don't know when, you know, uh, male, female question mark. due date. And then uh, at three minutes old, she pressed the tweet button and was the youngest tweet at the time um, to ever hit Twitter. And so, you know, I I always tell especially young audiences that usually when when that first taste of passion and profession overlaps, ridiculous things tend to happen. And, and the most beautiful outcome of that is work doesn't feel like work anymore. And and if you even look at me now, that's what I'm trying to inspire more of. Um And it was actually five years ago, I hit a rock bottom and that rock bottom for me manifested in in a variety of ways, but it was during that rock bottom. I took a month off work and I just looked deep inside myself. And, And what I learned was that my passions had actually evolved beyond kind of the digital and social stuff. So it didn't match up to my currency anymore. And, and it was in that moment, um, two critical changes, three critical changes happened. Uh, one, I changed my metric of success from beating my older two brothers at the game of life, uh, which is a horrible metric of success, to uh, metric to success being judged on a daily basis. Did I have the impact I intended? The other things that changed is I doubled down on my family. Instead of getting on planes every almost every, you know, twice, three times a week, to go hobnob all over the world with the, uh, you know, social networkers, um, you know, the, a lot of the entrepreneurs, I, I just decided to hunker down and really double down in them and put all of my efforts at my agency uh, where I had throughout that time period become a partner. Um, I decided to just put all my efforts into them and making them better people and leaders and create this genuine connection with them. And it was about a year after that. Um, and a lonely year, if I'm totally honest in this, um, I, I actually put together a men's executive retreat, average age 45 to like, you know, 60, I'd say. And I introduced myself around the fire and I was like, Hey, I'm Chris Tuff. I'm I didn't really know what to say there. And I, I just said, what first came to mind. I said, I'm, I'm kind of like the millennial whisperer, you know, I have 400 employees, 90% Ninety percent millennials and Gen Zers, and and then I went on and shared my story. And it was when I sat down by the fire; these guys were like, "Chris, tell me some of the things you do," because man, these millennials suck. You know, they come in late, they always want a promotion. I was like, "Actually, I think you are approaching it the wrong way." Like, here are a few of the tactics that have worked for me. And then after that, they're like, uh, the guy leading the retreat, his name's Tommy Breedlove. He's also an author. He said, uh, "Chris, you got to write that book," and so. I thought about it and then I wrote it and uh, I would say the rest is history, but it really wasn't the rest is history when I was doing it. Right. When you put yourself out there, it took a little bit of time for the book to pick up some steam and, and momentum. And right as that momentum was peaking was when the pandemic hit. I was actually supposed to be on the main stage at Nike and. The pandemic hit, and uh, Heidi O'Neill, who's the president of Nike, who's hosting me for this huge rah-rah thing that I was going to be heading up with her, uh, her assistant was like, "Yeah, it ain't happening. We don't know how long this is going to last, but you, you, you know, hunker down." And so, as that kind of punched me in the face, I, I have my twenty-minute rule, which is I can dwell in something bad happening, and then I got to bounce back. And I thought about it; I was like, "What? What? What's the real? What's the book?" What's the thing that I could actually put out there that would have the greatest, most immediate impact? And I I then looked back on kind of some of my most successful speeches. I had done one at my alma mater for the entire senior class, How to Network Like a MoFo. And I thought to myself, I was like, what if I took that? And then I took this downtime in the pandemic and interviewed the world's best networkers and then created a book that was a call to action to finally get people to go into networking and sales with the intention of genuine connection, which isn't that dissimilar from my first book, because The Millennial Whisper is all about genuine connection with all of your, your team members and your employees. And so what if you took that same mentality outwardly? And I'm, I've been on the receiving end of ask holes, I call them, people that just go in for you know one ask after the other, or you know, on LinkedIn, it, it happens all the time. People automating their asks where, uh, you accept, right? You know what I'm talking about, Adam? You accept someone and then nanoseconds later that they, there's they're asking for something with an automated response. And I was like, okay, I could actually have a huge impact here. And I'm going to make the call to action the title of the book, Save Your Asks. And uh, now here we are, I think two and a half months later. And I mean, I'm speaking really, uh, once again, kind of picking up where I left off uh, with my last, um, book and, um, yeah, it's super, I'll be in Kansas city this week, Denver next week, then San Diego. So it's really starting to pick up momentum and speed. And I'm, I'm, it's, it's also had a huge, a profound impact on those people that have now read it and and gone and implemented it. So can't wait to share that with you guys today.
1: All right. Uh, As I was listening to that, three things jumped to my mind. First of all, let's talk about your sixty-four job offers that you didn't get, and that sixty-fifth one that came through. After I got my MBA in human resource management with the goal of becoming a training development director for a Fortune 100, I did the usual networking, interviews, and things like that. And I don't even think most of my applications got read, much less responded to. However, I did get two job offers. These were from companies that were not officially hiring, but I had contacted them through my networking aspects. I was taking days off my day job to just make calls to companies and geographic areas I was considering moving to and industries I was interested in. And as a result of meeting with them and conversing with them, they ended up creating opportunities for me that they hadn't even been planning on. Now I say that not to pat myself on the back, but just to illustrate what this inspired me to do. Sure. The first thing inspired me to do is turn the offers down. And the reason for that is right around the same time, I reconnected with uh, a previous mentor of mine who at this point in his professional trajectory, that's another word I struggle with trajectory had opened a training and consulting firm. Uh, He used to work for companies like, Disney. He was in the uh, hospital. Uh, what was it? Hospital. Um, like the people who do the janitorial and the maintenance and stuff like that. He had worked in those industries and in t and and he started his own firm. And he was looking for somebody to read books that he didn't have time to read. It's like, oh, he's going to ship me boxes of books and I'm going to get a free business education. Okay. Um, and give him summaries. And also to compiled data from surveys he did with employees of his various clients, and also to provide background material for his training presentations. So this sounded like a lot of fun and I dived into it. So what you had here was two job offers created because I reached out, not because they were hiring, and me as a result of one late night, hey, how you doing, type phone call, landing a client that I wasn't even looking for because I wasn't even thinking about being in business. I decided I can create this myself. I started an entrepreneurial venture. Now it took me two years to get to the point where I could do it full time. And as soon as I went full time, I changed industries, funny story. But the thing about it is that I recognized that I had this ability and that's what really excited me. So as far as millennials, you wrote, the, you wrote a book about millennials, The Millennial Whisperer. I am a contributing author to Journeys to Success, the Millennial Edition, which is part of the Journeys to Success series created by the late Tom Cunningham. I was invited to do this as part of a group led by Brad Zollis, the author of Liquid Leadership, who wrote one of the original books about some of the stuff we're talking about. And I can tell you from my experience that your millennials, your Gen Zers and all that, these are not lazy people. These are just simply, if you want to put it in one sentence, in my opinion, people who want to feel like the work they do makes a difference. They, they come from the first generations where the idea of top-down hierarchy was questionable. And I mean questionable in a sense that there was information, data, and resources available to them to help them question the narratives that previous generations just got fed. And when I did the intro to this episode, you notice how I said, this is now permeating upward towards the Gen Xers, the baby boomers, et cetera. I'm an Xer, by the way. I was born in 1976, so I'm kind of right on the cusp. I miss millennial by three years. Uh, however, during my time in the uh, corporate world, because I did have a full-time corporate job while I was in MBA school and for two years thereafter, you might've thought of me as like a millennial and uh, I got labeled unemployable and high maintenance. And the people who were saying stuff like this were people who thought that I I should just pay them blind loyalty and kiss their ass because of their position on an org chart. And that's a reason why it was such a stifling culture. So that was another reason for me to get serious about getting entrepreneurial and get out of there. So I don't think millennials, Gen Zers and all of them, they're lazy at all. I don't think, I think they're actually more motivated, more innovative, and more value-adding than previous generations. And now you have your your Xers, your baby boomers who are still in the workforce who are looking at this and saying, hey, well, since you're not going to give me the gold watch in the shack in Fort Lauderdale and you have no further loyalty to me, maybe I want to feel this way too. So I argue that this has now become the norm in our workplace rather than just an emerging trend. And as far as the LinkedIn automated messages and, and what happens when you accept a Facebook request from somebody who seems like they'd be somebody that nice to interact with and you have a lot of mutual friends and all that, and the next thing you know, they're hitting you up with all that crap in your inbox. I actually did an entire training for my group on that called Dominate the DM. So you hit me right where I live on that one.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. So, I mean, the millennial Whisper. I mean, I think it was actually it became a bestseller again last week because a lot of the pandemic stuff, um, it actually just catalyzed all the things in the book. And, you know, the four things that millennials and Gen Zers are looking for even in the updated Deloitte millennial Gen Z survey are, you know, number one's work flexibility. And, you know, that's the first place where most places are, um making the biggest mistakes um which is you know not allowing people to not only work from where they want to work but giving them empowerment and autonomy to create more of a choose your own adventure and you know and then it's trans- you know inspirational leadership is number 2 autonomy and then transparency um and you know that book has now gone on to sell over 100,000 copies and is you know one of the probably biggest you know, biggest pieces of where i start with these larger organizations is to where they need to be cleaning up because they're not connecting the right way with their people and my favorite quote is millennials aren't the problem they just to your point adam they just expose all the problems yeah and so a lot of the things and then the pandemic catalyzed everything and now here we are and i i I get a lot of leaders that are overwhelmed, right? And and a lot of times my response to them being overwhelmed is that you've got the wrong people in the wrong positions because for whatever reason, our society expects us to be all things to all people, to be the inspirational leader, but yet also have all of the operations and systems in place. And a lot of times that's two different people. And so I will you know, help people try to find their way that's speaking to a lot of these things that we're talking about now, which is playing to your strengths and understanding who you are and what sets you apart and then using that in everything that we do. And it's no different than when we go out into the world looking for our first job. The reason I failed my first 64 job interviews was I had zero passion for any one of those verticals. It wasn't until I found out that you could actually get paid to be a little bit creative that I was like, oh, wow, that's fascinating. I could get fired up about that. And they saw that light in my eye, and and I got into it. But what I see now today, Adam, and I'm sure you see this in your network and within your mastermind, is that there there's an the true pandemic right now is miserable people and jobs they hate, right? And yes, and so I get out of every single speech, many people when no one's looking come up to me and they say, "All right, Chris, I loved your speech, but." I hate my job. I have zero passions on it and I'm living an inauthentic life. And I'm like,
1: all right. All okay. right. Yeah. So we're, um, yeah, we're actually getting a little behind on time here and there's so much we want to cover. So I could, um, I, I could share a story and I've shared this on other episodes, how when I was uh, during my stint in the corporate world, before I became entrepreneurial, um, I had a situation with work from home uh, due to inclement weather conditions and just a completely stultified approach to that. And, uh, I view the silver lining of the bug is that all these things that had been bones of contention became matters of necessity. So it went from, well, we don't want people to work from home because they're just going to screw around all day. We want them in cubicle farms so we can make sure they're answering their phones on the second ring and only taking 45 minutes for lunch. Well, it went from actually having that option to, um, You cannot go to your office. If you want to stay in business, you will have people work from home. So that could be an entire different conversation. But where you left off is where we want to jump in. And one of the things you want us to delve into a little bit more is what do you do with someone who isn't passionate about what they do and don't know what their passions are?
2: I mean, the first thing is identifying what passions you have in your life. And, you know, with book writing, they say you sell them what they want and you give them what they need. And in Savior asks, what I'm, what I'm, what I'm selling is I'm going to help you become a better networker and seller. But what I'm giving you is this idea that we all have to be curating and pursuing our passions at all times. And so every one of us has a currency. And then next, that currency is that thing that you get paid to do. Right. So for me, it was I was the digital and social guy. And it wasn't until I had actually curated a passion on the side around writing a book um, on how to lead with more genuine connection in place of everything else that that passion actually superseded my currency. And so finally, I, I got to actually reinvent what it is that I did that was in line with my, my own passion and purpose. And so I encourage everyone, you got to start curating at least two passions at all times. And my favorite exercise for that is what I call my Google me exercise, which is that everyone, if you're a search engine, what is it that people are going to you for advice around and and make a list of all those things? For me, it's like grilling recipes to how to become a kiteboarder, being the father of young girls, uh, creating businesses out of books, it, the list goes on. And after you do that exercise, you get an inventory of those passions that could potentially be pursued to actually bring some joy into your life again. And then if I said then out of that whole list, what is the one or two items that if I forced you to write a book on, what, which one would it be? And, and that forces you to actually hone in on something that you would have both the tenacity and the interest in taking to the next level and and that's where you start curating those things either you know alongside your your main hustle and currency or bring it into your job where you're currently at
1: precisely precisely and just for our listeners what we're going to do is we're going to be building a frame around the whole concept of saving your ask so um just hang in there for the answers that there's still a little more foundation we need to do. But let's actually pour some concrete into that right now. Sure. So let's say you're calling on someone as a salesperson and you don't like the prospect. Or what if they're just not a good person?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, especially for these longer sales cycles, that means longer sales cycles means that you're also probably going to be in a service oriented position that you're going to have to talk to this person if you do land them as a client pretty consistently. Yep. And what I do is I just spit those if, if, if someone I am courting, if you will, during that kind of sales prospecting, if, if I don't get along with them, then I just move on to the next because they're going to be a horrible client if they're horrible to, be someone that you're trying to court. And so I think a lot of people will tr- will just win for the sake of winning. And then they end up with this client that ends up being, uh, you know, something they don't want and they put time and effort into it. And it, it's, uh, it's a time and value suck. So just get rid of those.
1: Yeah, I think that's very important. And I the cert governed us the hard way my first few years in business. And to paint a picture for you, I mentioned earlier that the moment I became a full-time entrepreneur, I jumped into a different industry. The reason that happened is because I went to a couple seminars and found out there was a big demand for me to do something other than I would originally intended to do. So I thought, okay, there's a lot of money here, and this is something that I can do without too much difficulty. So I'm going to go grab this money. Well my business evolved to something where basically the entire marketing was referral driven. So it was a matter of most of my prospects were other people's referrals and boy, they would shovel stuff on me. And then if I didn't want to work with their referral to say, but wait a minute, I, I prepped this person for you. They're, they're my colleague. How, how could you not work with them? And uh, I didn't have the testicular fortitude to say at the time, well, cause I think they're assholes. I just yeah. didn't, have, I just didn't quite have that. But and so what I got into is one of the things I did, now this was a web development firm that I had until the year 2011 when I shut it down. And the first step in engaging with me was to fill out an application. Where I got the data I needed for what it was they were looking for. Were they looking for somebody on retainer to uh, generally manage their web presence? Were they looking for a specific project? Uh, what was their industry? What were their what was it? What were their uh, sales conversion goals? And then I also would ask some of the basic questions like you know who's your web host? Who's your registrar? Uh, what? e-commerce systems you use just simply so we didn't have to spend time on the phone with all that. And also that I could see, Oh, well, I know how to do that one. I know how to do that one. Okay. This one's going to be a learning curve. All this would impact the rates I would charge. And uh, I would occasionally get somebody saying, I'm not filling out your stupid form. If you want to work with me, you call me. Otherwise I can get this done for $5 an hour in Bangladesh. And I say, go ahead call Bangladesh. And and I hope you find what you're looking for. Uh, And I recognized that I actually would occasionally indulge people who would rebel against my very reasonable process. And all I did by indulging them was setting a frame where they could just continue to push me around. If they were manifesting themselves as being a problem that early, then really – And then I also had the referral partner that said, well, can't you just make a special track for my referrals where they don't have to fill out your form? And I said, no, because then I'm going to have you ordering me around. Third piece is I would get referrals where it would be basically everybody who belonged to a certain mastermind or everybody who belonged to a certain group. And let's say there were nine people in that group and, some, and and all nine of them applied to work with me. Some of them I thought were great and I took them on as clients. Yeah, I had a lot of clients in the day. and But two of them, there was just absolutely no way in hell and if hell froze over, um, I would gleefully roll around naked on the ice rather than work with them. Uh, then it became a question of, well, you're working with so-and-so, why won't you work with them or why won't you work with me? and. I recognized this was all just very toxic and it made me feel less passionate about what I was doing and the people I was doing it with. And then then and this is the reason I shut down the firm ultimately was the conception of website marketing changed where in real terms particularly with the advent of social media and the younger generations becoming a major impact in the workforce and in the entrepreneurial space where things were thought of differently, the idea of invest $6,000 on this giant website before you lift a finger to attract a prospect went right out the window. So that wasn't even a market I wanted to serve anymore because that's what it was attracting. And my message of, well, if you want to do the website, that's great. But the first thing we're going to do is we're going to set up a landing page. We're going to get you uh, referrals. uh prospects and clients flowing in that are going to fund this project, that didn't go over very well because they thought they would be laughed at in their marketplace for having a landing page rather than a full website. And look where we are in 2022. Look where we were as of 2014, 2015. Uh, in fact, it went so far in the opposite direction for a while there that people were skewing their websites in favor of just using their social media platforms. And then the idea of cancellation came in and they recognized, oh, I better have a website. But it's just an evolutionary thing. But yeah, so I would argue that sometimes the, you know, it could be the source of where the people are coming from. Maybe that's why you don't like them. And maybe it doesn't have to do with them as people. Because some of these folks I didn't want to work with, they're good people. They just weren't good for me. And I wish them luck finding what they were looking for. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I would say sometimes it's just a matter of also just look at who you're attracting that goes back to your brilliance, your passion, your intersection thereof, and your message. So I know, and you've shared with me, we were talking in the green room that, you know, you feel yourself to be really good um, at the race to the middle and finding the common ground with the new connection, which is very valuable. Mm-hmm. And then you get stuck there in a small talk. And speaking of somebody who's so introverted, they had to make a new category on the left-hand side. Just for me, uh, small talk gives me the heebie jeebies. Sure. So how do you get out of that and take it to the next level?
2: Yeah. I mean, to me, it comes down to one question and one question only. And a lot of people don't feel like they have the green light to go there early in the relationship, but as I've now practiced this one question over and over and over again, earlier and earlier in the relationship, the more profound the results have been and how, how surprising, how willing people are to go there. And that's, what's your dream? When you're sitting across from someone and you ask them, once you get past all the little small talk, like, what is it that fires you up? What is your ultimate dream? And they feel vulnerable enough to actually tell you the answer. And you can do one thing in your power to just take once to help them take one step towards that dream. There's a bond and form of reciprocity that's born in that moment that will last a lifetime. And I don't think we ask that question enough, um, both with prospects, but also with our team members. And that is, I think, the most important question we can ask anyone
1: What is your dream? wow. You know what this made me think of? This made me think of uh, when I first joined the Rotary and I had to pay $17 for my name badge and I had to fill out a form that had two fields on it, one of which was, what's my name? And then what industry am I in? Now, at the time, I wasn't yet a published author and my public speaking career was still very nascent. So I put consultant and what, this, what happened at the uh, weekly luncheons, people would walk up to me and they wouldn't even like look me in the eye and shake my hand or introduce themselves. They'd just point to my name tag and say, so, Alan, I'm sorry, Alex, Adam, 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 what kind of consulting do you do? And I'm thinking, really? That's how you're going to open with me is to ask me what kind of consulting I do? I'm sorry, I nodded off there because that just thought that bored me so much and almost put me to sleep. So I paid seventeen dollars more to have the name tag changed to author slash speaker. So now it was still the same approach and they still messed up my name, but now they would add, oh Arthur, um so what's your book about? Well, I'll tell you about Groundhog Day is an event not a business strategy all day long. That's my baby. And contained within that book is the spring formula, which is the foundation for the business consulting I do. So what I did there was just simply create a frame shift from the standard small talk at the networking function to asking a question about a passion. I love my book. My book is my baby. I I spent two years developing the content and three uber focused days turning it into a book and that that in itself is a story that I've been interviewed on how I did that. And the six areas of the spring function the spring formula are the six areas of my intersections of my brilliance and my passion when it comes to business consulting. So that by making that shift to me built a common ground because now, we're having a conversation about passions. Furthermore, I'll just add one more thing, and I want to get your thoughts on this, actually, is when you're at the networking function, you're at the reception before or after the seminar or what have you, and somebody asks, what do you do? I, when people ask me that question, what I'll do sometimes is, is actually as often as possible is I'll turn it around on them, and I'll get them to share about themselves, you know, what's going on with them, what's working well. And I love the idea of being able to ask them, what are your dreams? And there's a helicopter going overboard. Oh yes. I wish I was on that helicopter. So by asking, what are your dreams? I can get them speaking about themselves. And then we can begin to find the gaps between where they are and where their dreams are. That gap is where what I do matters. So, what does it matter what type of consulting I do until I know what your dreams are and what is the gap between your reality and your dream and my ability to serve you in closing that gap? Mm-hmm. So I want to get your thoughts on that one.
2: Yeah. I mean, my, one of my favorite quotes is, um, curiosity is the difference between connecting and networking. And, you know, you work your way up to that question of like, what's your dream? What, what fires you up? And, but you've got to be asking those questions. And then once you find that common passion point, you know, I, I will tell audiences that I'll, I, I would even watch sports Center, even though I don't watch that much live sports, but I'd watch sports Center just to have something that is more of a that common ground as I start asking questions, because I might strike out on the fact that they don't grow They don't have young, young daughters. They don't kiteboard. So it's like, oh, how about the Braves last night? Oh yeah. Like ninth inning, they pull, oh man, they pulled it through. Right. And then that creates that foundation off of which you then ask more questions to then uncover what it is this person's all about. And, and then when you can go in for that final kind of, you know, deep question of what fires you up, what, where, where is it that your dreams where what, what is your dream? That's where the magic starts to happen. Um, And, you know, it's, and it takes a little bit of time to do that. And, you know, I, I, I talk about this concept of Shawshanking in the new book and Shawshanking was introduced to me in 2012. I just signed as the buyer, one of the largest um, agreements I'd ever signed. And I turned to the guy and I said, uh, his name's Jason Beckerman. And I said, Jason, like, here we are celebrating with our teams, like the largest, um, contract of my life, probably yours. But like, how did you try We met seven years ago in a closed Facebook group. Like, how are we where we are? Like the, the sales guy's interested. He goes, you really want to know? I was like, yeah. He goes, I Shawshank your ass. I was like, Shawshank, what, what is that? He goes, Chris, have you seen Shawshank Redemption? I was like, yeah, it's been a while. He goes, okay, well, if you remember Andy Dufresne, in order to get the library funded, he wrote a letter a week And it wasn't until two years of not hearing back from any of those letters that he got his first check for $200. And then it was after that, which he never stopped. Ten years later, he had the nicest library in the prison system. Shawshank Prison did. And so, Chris, every single week for the last six years since we met in that closed Facebook group, I have had some sort of interaction with you. It's been on Instagram message. It's been on Facebook uh, chat. It's been on uh, email. It's been on text, but I've had a touch point with you every single week since then. Not once have I gone in for an ask. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to implement that strategy because I was just, at the time, I had just taken on the role of head of business development for the agency where I'm a partner. And I implemented that strategy and told everyone around me, I was like, I'm going to Shawshank this Fortune, five, uh, Fortune 50 company that I uh, am currently working on. I'm helping them actually hire someone with digital and social <laughs> experience. I, I just, you know, and then I went on and I did a free um, kind of seminar on of where they can utilize social media better. And it was 14 months later, we got our first project from that Fortune 50 company. And today we have 120 employees on that one account because it has grown And I think more of us as salespeople should take that kind of Shawshanking into our own verb vocabulary to actually create a relationship over time versus trying to feel like you have to go in for that ask right away. And all of us live somewhere on the ask continuum. I live actually on the left side where asks are really hard for me. It's what makes me actually pretty good at being one of these longer term sales people. Um, but then on the other side, if asks come really easy to you, it's, you might be an ask hole. And so we all have to move somewhere towards the sweet spot of that ask continuum. And one of my favorite places to, to utilize one of these um, you know verbs is to uh, really take on Shawshank in, in our day-to-day networking.
1: All right. You've inspired me with another story here. And this is why I refer to the Business Creators Radio Show as a a compendium of private mastermind conversations. This is what happens in a mastermind conversation. As you inspire each other, you remind each other of stories, you give each other that thought as they're speaking. So let's go take me back to uh, when I was in my senior year at Penn State. Well, my first senior year because I had one and a half senior years by choice. I was an RA, a resident assistant. One of my colleagues, uh, his, name, his name was Rick. Actually, it's still Rick, but uh, he was Rick back then too. But anyway, um, he, uh, he, was a, uh, he was a business student. And he had uh, that previous summer done an internship. And the guy he did the internship was an executive uh, who's in the training development of some major company. Uh, his name was Stephen Rowell. R-O-W-E-L-L, which is a name that a few of our listeners may actually recognize because he's pretty well known for certain things today. Now, he would just go on about Stephen Rowell this and Stephen Rowell that. And then also, my friend had also uh, connected with Dr. Tony, Tony Alessandra, who's the creator of, among other things, the Platinum Roll, who I've also briefly spoken with. So I learned about Platinum Roll, and I learned about all this, um, this, uh, these inspirational things from this guy named Stephen Rowell, who I didn't know from Adam, from my very business-minded friend. So at the beginning of my second senior year, I was still an RA and they, and through a series of whatever, they had arranged to have Stephen Rowell be the keynote speaker at our training retreat. Uh, when I met this guy for the first time, uh, he was introduced to me by our mutual friend Rick and the first thing Stephen did was ask me a really obscene question that made me laugh. so I'm thinking, okay he's he's a cool dude And then I forgot about it until about a month and a half into uh, my final semester there and the reason I added that half year is because I wanted the opportunity to be a training ass- a, a teaching assistant for a course that was not offered until then where I would be a TA for a class that was about the history of the Middle East. Part of my role was to lead a discussion group. And I was really struggling to connect with my discussion group. And I was grasping at straws. I spoke with a professor. I just wasn't making it happen. And finally, I thought at random, you know, there's this Stephen Rowell guy. And he. And after he asked me that same question, he did give me his business card. So I, um, so I uh, thought, okay, I'm going to call him. Um, probably going to get his voicemail. And well, lo and behold, he answered. And we had an almost hour long discussion that gave me everything I needed to transform my role as the leader of that discussion group and actually make it work. And you know what the funny thing is In that nearly an hour's time, we did not discuss the Middle East at all. So that set off something and it opened a door for me, which is what if you were to, what if you were to reach out to somebody and they actually answered you? What if you were to call on somebody? What if you do write those letters a week? Um, I know, I know another story. um, I can't remember who told the story, but it was about, they wanted to connect with Sam Walton. So they started doing the same thing. Once a month, they left a message for Sam Walton. And then one morning, they got a phone call, and the person near the end said, hi, this is Sam Walton. I understand you're trying to get a hold of me. And the first thing this person told me was they said, bullshit, you're not Sam Walton, because they thought it was their buddies playing a prank on him. Turned out it was Sam Walton. For a media pop culture reference, I refer our listeners to the movie Wall Street, and you may Recall uh, the Charlie Sheen's character, the Charlie Sheen character's efforts to get FaceTime with Gordon Gecko, And he called that office every day. I think it was 87 days in a row or something like that. And finally, he managed to get in because he knew Gordon Gecko's birthday and he knew what kind of cigars Gordon Gecko liked. And he just showed up with a box of cigars and said, I'm here to give Gordon his birthday presents. And it was the persistence that got him in the door.
2: Yeah, and the research, right? I mean, so yeah. many people. I'm on the receiving end of asks all day, every day, and so it. So many people fail to do any research, and they just do these blanketed, you know, outreach things to oh, you know, people saying I actually had when I was de- deliberating whether or not I should really go for it with Savior your asks. Um, someone from a company called Domo after I ignored their email five times in the sixth attempt at their failed attempt to erase the middle it was the middle of summer. This guy from Domo goes, so have you read any good books lately? And I had to reach back out to the guy because, you know, the millennial whisperer had gone on at the time, had sold 80,000 copies. And the main story <clears throat> was actually all about Domo and how they give away a big blue rooster as the rewards and recognition <laughs> this 12 foot big blue rooster. And it actually ended up becoming one of the most well-known stories. And, you know, it's all over my LinkedIn and blah, blah, blah. I was like, so I had to reach out to him. I was like, guy, like, I just have to give you some advice. And I want it to be like constructive, but I'm actually writing a book right now on how to better network itself. If you'd done just a little bit of research, you would have seen I featured Domo as my main story in a, my last best-selling book. And uh I just highly suggest you do some research before reaching out. I mean, you're putting the efforts in to email me seven times, six, seven times. So just do a little bit of research and you'll be, you know, a hundred times more productive in, in that. And, uh, he was actually super cool about it. He was like, man, yeah, uh, that that's great advice. Thank you. But, um, it, it astounds me how few people know that Gordon Gecko. you know, what kind of cigars they, he smokes or just, yeah. just, just go, go, go all in. Right.
1: I believe there's a big correlation between um, dating and mating and business. In fact, they're really two sides of the same coin. So you remember in my intro when I mentioned that uh, you were involved with Facebook back when it was called the Facebook and it was targeted towards college students Yeah, and I being a guy in my mid twenties was uh, using the platform to meet college age women. Yeah. Well, Fast forward a couple of years after it became more of a business platform, and uh, and I was uh, and I was uh, seeking out other entrepreneurial women. I'm just going to be very candid about this. And I met her on Yahoo Messenger chat. That's there's another way I'm dating myself that no longer exists. And so we hit it off, and uh, we made a date, and I got and I got together with her. But I thought, you know what? Let me see if I can learn a little bit about her in the meantime. So I found her on Facebook, and I spent a few minutes going through her post now this is uh you know you, you, you want to learn a little bit about something i'm coming to a point here and i noticed that she posted a lot of stuff about family guy that uh that cartoon show so i knew when i had her face to face there was only one word i had to say to access an area of her mind that i wanted to reach you know what that word was what's that giggity yeah so. <laughs> yeah. so let me let me come to my point on that. I I like to tell I like to tell offbeat stories sometimes to create pattern interrupts to get people to sit up and say where's he going with this? Where I'm going with this is with social media and with this idea that people share so much of themselves is if you want to know about someone you can find it out. Now you don't say something like hey I was Checking out your Facebook profile, and I noticed you're posting a lot of Peter Griffin memes. They don't say something like that. If it's something that you genuinely also have in common with the person, or that you can relate to or can articulate, you just bring it up in conversation. They'll say, Ah, yeah, yeah, I like that too. Totally. And now, you're building some of those subtle bonds because yeah. it's little things you haven't common. You don't have to go to in great detail. Like if I didn't know a whole lot about family guy, I could have just, I mean, I have a surface level understanding of it. At least you don't have to talk about that all day, but just enough to say, Oh, that's something we have in common. That's something where we can, uh, we can uh, fill spaces of silence with jokes. Totally. Yeah. So let's see uh, what else here. Um, there's one other thing that um, I think I'd like to cover here in the few minutes we have left here is let's say your job has nothing to do with sales. I'm not sure if that's even the case anymore, but let's say your job has nothing to do with sales. How can what we've covered about save your asks help you grow nonetheless?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I think we all need to be more net givers. And I get a lot of people that are on the pessimistic side, come to me and say, you know, the world's doomed. There's never been more of a lack of connection out there. Everyone's full of crap. And, um, you know, that they're posting these fake lives on social media, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, that's opportunity, right? Like go create more genuine connection in your life. And if you actually approach any networking interaction, whether that be with friends, family, um, colleagues or whatever, you know, school events, whatever it is, if you just approached it with the outcome of success being genuine connection, you're going to be a lot more fulfilled as a human being. And, and, and that's what I've been practicing for the last really year. And it's, it's mind boggling what ends up happening from that. And it's not for any sort of reciprocity, but, you know, even like, you know, it might be your waiter or waitress one night or or someone that you come across at, you know, so, uh, sit, it's you sit next to on an airplane ride. But it's amazing just what genuine connection can do for both your life and theirs. And so I think it's something that regardless of what our position is, um, we should all be implementing this, uh, more of this in our lives because the world needs it and we need it. So go for it.
1: Sometimes connection can come from the funniest places. I, uh, when I was uh, transitioning from web development to website conversion consulting, back when that was really a separate practice, area of practice, and I had a and my set in my next firm was specifically about website conversion consulting. And this is back in the days when one shopping cart was preeminent. I made a video and posted it on YouTube about how to customize the order forms on one shopping cart. And I was told by others, well, if you're supposed to be doing website conversion consulting, why are you wasting time on teaching people how to write HTML? Well, it turned out I started getting emails, emails, phone calls, phone calls, phone calls saying, hey, I, that video you posted about the one shopping cart order forms, that's fantastic. That's just what I need. I was looking for that. Thank you. By the way, I checked out your website and I see that you do this website conversion consulting. And I'm curious. I was getting clients that way. I was reaching them where they were at the moment and moving them where I wanted them to go. Here's another funny thing real quick. I, uh, I bought some uh, furniture for my balcony a few years ago and I went to target because there's a target literally right down the street from me. And they had these chairs that really fit very comfortably for me. So I bought four of the chairs and a couple tables and some lamps and things. And they offered me the chance to save 10% if I took out a target credit card. So I thought, Okay, you know what? I'll take out the card. I'll pay it off. And then I'll just uh, I'll occasionally put something on it just to keep it alive, just so that I can increase uh, increase the uh, range of my uh, revolving credit utilization to keep my percentages lower. Um, So I paid it off and then somehow I managed to overpay by a dollar. And I got a statement that said I had a one dollar credit on the Target card. So I posted on my Facebook that I had a one dollar credit on my Target card and asked people what I should do with it. And somebody came to me and said, "You're supposed to be talking about wealth and appealing to high ticket people. Why are you down in the in the mud with these with these uh, bottom feeders discussing a dollar on your Target credit card?" And I said. See my 87 comments. See my 80, see my 95 reactions to this post. This is something that reaches people viscerally. This is something that people like to talk about. This elicits, some might call it a childhood state of enthusiasm that gets them to open up and think about what would I do if I had a dollar credit on my credit card? Bet you within those reactions and comments, there's probably a few clients. Turned out that would be the case. Because that got people following me more closely, got people reaching out, got conversations going, and I got clients out of it. So it's not always, hey, uh, hey, you want a podcast or yeah, yeah, you want to increase your conversion rates by 25%? Sometimes the ask is, what would you do with a dollar credit on your target card? Totally. It's, weird how, it's weird how that works, man.
2: Well, podcasts, I mean, what a great example of yeah. a business tool that every single small business should have a podcast solely for the sake that they can reach out to people and share an experience by interviewing them that they're going to publish to the world like that, that it's a it's the biggest no brainer to to any small business because you how much different is it, hey, I'd love to interview you for my podcast because I value what you do versus, hey, can I meet with you for coffee to hear how I can help you with your business? Like, it's totally different. So what yeah. a great example of kind of implementing what it is that I'm trying to inspire more of.
1: Right, right, right. That's that's my podcast reach system. That's what yeah, it's all about. Exactly. It's, it's, it's using your podcast as your key networking, client attraction, celebrity expert branding tool. Free strategy sessions have no show rates up to 50%. One of the biggest complaints you hear about them is people who run Facebook ads to get more signups for free strategy sessions get a lot of tire kickers. Yeah. So that's because you're approaching with, I want to do business with you. Exactly. Also, people, also people who might want to connect with Chris Tuff and see that the only way to get to him is through a free strategy session is, oh, well, I'd love, to, I'd love to speak with Chris, but I'm not in a position to say yes to any offer he would make to me right now. So I'm not going to waste his time. So okay. a valuable connection gets missed. Now, what happens if I speak with Chris Tuff on my podcast? I have him on my show. And maybe it's three months down the road we do business, but in the meantime, we have a friendship. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So again, that right there, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's a great way to end this. And I might end up, I might end up quoting you in a blog post I do at some point, if that's okay, yeah, on course. this type of thing. It's just the idea that podcasting itself is an example of. Saving the ask, so the shared experience. Yeah, you're
2: asking creates a bond.
1: Yeah, awesome. Ultimately, you're asking for the business, but first, you're offering a gift through upfront reciprocity.
2: Yep.
1: All right. So for our listeners, yeah. So our listeners here, we are at the top of the hour. I invite everybody, everybody, visit Chris's website. I'm going to read it out to you one time for those of you who are running, jogging, and driving, and for everybody else, it's in the it's in the write up on our website. Go to Chris Tuff, that's spelled C H R I S T U F F dot me. Chris Tuff, dot me. It's not dot com, it's dot me. It's the Montenegrin version, not the dot com version. And when you go to that website, you're going to discover more about Chris. You'll see about his mission. Um, you'll see some other places he's been featured. And you can also discover how you can get your hands on his books, such as Savior Asks, which is the name of one of his books. Also, the Millennial Whisperer, which he uh, has also brought up. And I can tell you that uh, I'm going to be checking these out myself. Before we wrap up here, is there uh, any final thought that uh, you'd like to leave with our listeners or one thing that they can take action on right now that could move the needle just a little bit?
2: Yeah, so I do this in speeches, Adam, and I, um, I, I say, everyone right now, you probably have a cell phone in front of you. Now think of someone who you haven't had interaction with in the last three months. And that first person that comes to mind, go ahead and text them and say, hey, I'm, or even more profound than that, you send them a video message and say, hey, uh, in this case, it might be Adam. Uh, I know I haven't heard from you. I know we haven't talked in a while, but I just want to let you know, I was thinking about you blank and blank, blank and whatever it is, reminded me, hope you're having an awesome day and go ahead and send that text. And it's astounding what can happen just out of, for the first time ever, reaching out to someone in your network with the intention of just genuine connection and rekindling a friendship out there or connection um, with them in a business domain. And so, you know, out of the biggest theme that came out of all of these interviews that I did with the greatest networkers in the world, was that creating relationships is easy. Sustaining them is difficult. And so this is your first attempt at actually sustaining a relationship that may have gone dormant.
1: That's fantastic. Now, for those of our listeners who um, it's been three months since they broke up with their ex, can they go to the second person? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go
2: ahead the ex. <laughs> it, can't be, it can't be romantic and it can't be uh, family. So uh, don't cheat the system here.
1: We got to have fun with these things. All right. So, Chris Tuff, thank you so much for being with us yep. today. It's been an honor, and believe me, an education.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much. Right. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.